This morning, tradition, what we're going to learn, well, we're learning Matthew, Matthew chapter 9. We're going through systematically, verse by verse, chapter by chapter, section by section. But today, the topic at hand is, is tradition. And I remember studying actually tradition in university and, um, and uh, looking at this, it's kind of interesting to see kind of remembering certain things. Uh, sometimes tradition can be good and sometimes tradition can be bad. And that's kind of what I remember from my studies, bottom line. Sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't work. And so it's not necessarily always a bad thing and it's not always a good thing. It's just, it's a thing. And so like any other thing, we got to look at it and say, what's the value, what's the benefits? And so with tradition, sometimes we need to what's called dissent, which means to turn away or or, or change or, or reject sometimes. And that's what we're going to see in these scriptures that Jesus is going to be doing with um, various groups of people. So if we got the first slide then. So first, and we already kind of touched on this last week, and I'm sorry for, for hanging on, but there's some, this, this issue is we didn't really deal with. We kind of, um, I kind of withheld it for this morning so we can deal with the, this tradition as, long, as well as, as the tradition that we're going to see in the next portion of scriptures with John the Baptist and the Pharisees and, and the tradition of fasting. But tradition is what we're going to talk about. Why do we do the things that we do? Uh, and again, traditions, they're neither bad or good. They can be wonderful, but they also can be quite damaging if we're, you know, uh, if we're not careful. Uh, here, I think we see a possible harmful, in fact, this, I would say this is a, this is a very much so damaging tradition. Uh, I, I kind of ballpointed the, the, the issue at hand and maybe what's going on in the minds of the Pharisees as they approach Jesus in Matthew 9, 11 through 13. There's four things. That is going th- that could be possibly going through the mind of the Pharisees as they see Jesus hanging out with Matthew and hanging out with the the sinners, and uh, and the first thing is you do not hang out with sinners or non-religious people. You can go as far as say the Gentiles or the non-Jews, but but basically I think to make it culturally cross-reference between that culture and our culture, we could just simply state it: you just don't hang out with sinners. You know the the, the naughty ones, the undesirables, the the bad boys and girls. Okay. And you certainly do not have them in your home. Again, this is what's going on in the minds of the Pharisees. Nor do you go into their homes, which is what Jesus was doing. He, was, he went into the home of Matthew. And you most certainly do not eat with them. You most certainly do not eat with them. You do not associate. You do not hang out with them. You do not go to their homes. And you do not spend an intimate time with them like sharing a meal. And if that is the tradition that the Pharisees are, have a mind, which I believe they do, then this will cause problems. And, and I think it's, it's quite, we'll say it's logical. It makes sense for the Pharisees to ask Jesus, why are you doing these things? Because in their mind, this is how things, this is how things go. This is how things go. You just don't do these things. But then Jesus is doing these things. So I think it's kind of fair in a sense that the Pharisees would ask, why is Jesus doing this thing? So we see here in Matthew 9-11, Pharisees saying, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? Why is he doing this thing? 
And we're going to see here in just a moment that it almost seems illogical. And so I think it's fair, in a sense, that the Pharisees ask this question, because it seems illogical. It seems inconsistent. If this is the Son of God who is filled with God's power, able to do miracles and heal and wonderful things, then why is he doing this thing which appears to be sinful? But Jesus' response is this, go learn what this means. And we've talked about this quite a bit last week. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. And so there's a new tradition. Out with the old, in with the new. And this tradition actually, I love it, Jesus refers to an Old Testament scripture. So this is something that they've had the information about for a long, long time. The idea of God's desire for mercy. Sacrifice is great. Sacrifice is one thing. That's kind of the ritualistic side of things, to bring your sacrifice. But he desires, what he really wants is a heart, a changed heart, a heart that's repentant, a heart that's after God. And that is a desire, that's a heart of mercy. And we talked about mercy again last week. I'm not going to go over it again because of time's sake. But that's what he's looking for. And that's the bottom line. He is showing mercy. Again, like we said last week, mercy at this time was kind of a, seen as a negative not a virtue, but a vice. What do you mean? Mercy? Mercy? Mercy's for cowards. Mercy's for wimps. We, no way. Mercy? Jesus, come on. But this is God's heart. He desires to show us mercy. He desires to show uh, sinners mercy. And Jesus is doing that very thing. Mercy. For I've come to call out the righteous. Not the righteous, but the sinners. Next slide, please. So, the question is asked, when is a good time then to dissent from tradition? Here we see a tradition. And the tradition can be written out like this, or it can be argued like this. Eating with sinners is sin. That's kind of what he's saying here, right? That's the tradition in the sense, right? Eating with sinners is sin. Jesus is doing what? What are they saying? That Jesus is eating with sinners. Therefore, I guess the, the hard pill to swallow, the conclusion is this. And this follows logically. The sinners, or Jesus is a sinner. Now we got a problem here. Because these Pharisees are like, what? Who's this Jesus guy all about? He's a sinner just like the rest of them. Because he's eating with them. He's associating with them. And that is the tradition. That's the way how things were seen at that time. And Jesus is confronting this way of looking at things. And again, I put the little logical kind of argument on the right there, which I'm not going to deal with. But for the mathematicians and the logicians in the room, they can pick at that. But the problem is here is this is, this is not a good argument. Um, next slide, please. The reason why it's not a good argument is because of this. Premise one's false. Premise one's false. It's only, it would be conclusive that Jesus is a sinner if both these premises were true. But the problem is, eating with sinners is not a sin. That's a false premise. It's a false thought or false statement. In fact, premise one, we're down here, kind of sounds silly, but sinning is a sin. Eating with the sinner is not a sin. In fact, what Jesus is showing us here is to eat with sinners, to associate, to, to show them care, is actually to be merciful to them. So that's what Jesus is doing. He's not sinning. He's not joining in on sin. He's showing mercy. So premise one's false. And, and in fact, to show mercy, as Jesus is saying here, is to be in touch with God and his work, his kingdom work. So we reject this, this way of thinking. And so this is indeed a tradition that should be dissented from. And on the bottom here, I put, what, what if the church still had to this tradition? What if the church still believed that hanging out with sinners was a bad thing? 
then what kind of influence, what kind of salt, what kind of light would we be in people's lives? How, how, where would we be? Where would you be? Where would I be? If people who were religious couldn't be bothered hanging out with us and spending time with us and telling us about Jesus, that'd be tragic. It's certainly unmerciful. But Jesus came to change the world as we know it. And boy, oh boy, do we take for granted the world that we're living in today and the justice and the righteousness and the mercy and the goodness and the grace that we receive today. It comes from, we can thank Jesus as it comes directly from him and the things that he did in his ministry and his life. And so we ask ourselves, has the church then truly descended to the tradition? I think in a sense, yes, it has. But in another sense, maybe it has. And maybe there are still those in church who feel self-righteous. And have maybe, the, you know, see things very similar to how the Pharisees see it. And they don't want to associate themselves with certain people who are sinners. So in a sense, I think the church has ascended from this tradition as a whole. But there are still, I think, little bits of it that remain. Next slide, please. So we have a new tradition, which I would like to call the tradition of mercy. The tradition of mercy. Now, in, in due time, we'll get to Matthew Chapter 25, so I'm not going to do a huge tearing apart of these scriptures, a huge exegesis of the scripture. Um, I just want to refer to it because it makes sense in light of what we're talking about, traditions, specifically a tradition of mercy. This in context in Matthew 25 is Jesus talking about the end times, talking about the end times, okay? And he's talking about when he returns and how, and the day of judgment, the day where people will stand before God and in, in judgment at the end. And here's, here, and here's one of the, him explaining this time, uh, comparing people who he calls sheep who are on the right side and goat on the left side and the qualitative difference, their relationship differences, their behavior differences. And so he, he's, he's drawing a line here and say that there is a judgment. Um, and what we do, our behavior matters uh, and I think this applies to mercy in an obvious way as we begin to read it. So, the king. And I believe this is Jesus referring to himself because he is the king. And it's the end time when Jesus returns as the king. And later on he's going to refer to the king's father or his father. So, we do believe this is Jesus. And so the king will say to those on the right hand, um, Come, you who are ble uh, blessed by my father. And here have the kingdom prepared for you. From the foundation of the world. And I would imagine that most people would want this. To be blessed by God. And to, to take part of his kingdom. This is a, a lovely thing. And, and, and here's the justification. For I was hungry. And you gave me food. I was thirsty. And you gave me drink. I was a stranger. And you welcomed me. I was naked. And you clothed me. I was sick. And you visited me. I was in prison. And you came to me. So certainly. If we saw Jesus. On the street naked and hungry. You'd, we'd all imagine that we would certainly go and help him. Give him some clothes and give him some food. Maybe take him in. We'd care for him, right? That would make sense. If it was Jesus, certainly. But what if it isn't Jesus and somebody else? Well, going on to verse 37. Then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you, or naked and clothe you? I don't remember this stuff. When did we see you sick or in prison? Certainly Jesus doesn't go to prison. Prison's for sinners. <laughs> Why would we see Jesus in prison? How is this even possible? Good question. Well, he gives an answer. And this is where we need to really put on our thinking caps in verse 40 down the bottom there. And the king will answer them. 
Truly I say to you, as you did to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. Truly I say to you, as, as you did it to one of the least of these. The least of these means the smallest or the most vulnerable even. The smallest, the most insignificant, the most vulnerable. My brothers, you did it to me. Now he goes on. Next slide, please. And, and at this point, I would like to make a note that this is a good tradition to keep, and you'll see why in a few seconds. <laughs> Very much so a good tradition to keep, because we want to be on that side he just described. We want to be on this next side that he's going to describe at this moment, continuing on in verse 41 of chapter 25 of Matthew. Then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you cursed into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. Now, just like... Earlier, we described a situation that's desirable. We want to be with God in his kingdom. That sounds, I think most people would say that sounds like a good thing. This is, sounds like a bad thing. I don't want to be in this part right here. This cursed, the idea of being cursed, don't like that idea. Idea of eternal fire doesn't sound good to me. Devil and the angels, nope, not for me. <laughs> so we want to avoid this. Verse 42, for I was hungry and you gave me no foods. I was thirsty, and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, and you did not welcome me. Naked, and you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison, you did not visit me. So certainly this person who sees Jesus dying and sick in the streets, hungry and naked, if you were to turn your back on Jesus, the, the King of the world, the Lord of Lord, the Son of God, certainly you deserve to go to hell. Absolutely. But these guys are looking and saying, but wait, this is no fair, Jesus. We didn't do this. How could you charge us for a crime we didn't commit? But Jesus doesn't charge people for crimes they don't commit. He's just in what he does. And here he's going to give a justification in verse 44. Then they will answer. I'm sorry. I'm jumping the gun. First, they ask the question, Lord, when do we see you hungry, thirsty, so on and so forth? Uh, and then he responds in verse 45. Then he will answer them saying, truly I say to you, as you did not do it to one of the least, just one of the least, again, these small vulnerable ones, you did not do it to me. And these will go into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. So again, what Jesus is doing, that's in line with God and his kingdom. And here, what's what he's talking about? God and his kingdom. His eternal kingdom, in fact. And Jesus knows life in the eternal kingdom. And that's what he's doing. He's showing mercy. He's showing mercy. He's spending time with people who are sinners to show, not to sin, but to show mercy. And here, this is very much so in keeping with what Jesus is doing. Jesus is living the right way. He's living the way of God. As opposed to the way of the cursed. Next slide, please. But really quick, I wanted to ask this question. Because we need to know who we're going to show mercy to, right? We've got to know who is it that we show mercy to. And in here, I just, I, 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 the question is, who are these? Who are the these? Who are these these? Is these theses, whatever you want to call it. I don't know what the plural these. I think that's already plural, isn't it? <laughs> so who are the these? Um, it says again, you know, uh, oh, actually, this is earlier on. I have to rewind a wee bit back to verse 31. <clears> this <throat> sets up the scenario. When the Son of Man comes in his glory 
and all the angels with him. So this is what we see. This is like the landscape. This is the environment. This is the kind of the background. This is the, 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 the stage being set. We have the Son of Man, which is clearly Jesus Christ, the King. He comes in his glory. And all, so who, here's, who, here's, what, here's a possible these. First, we see these angels with him, okay? So when he's saying these, it's kind of a tricky one. Because what's he referring to when he says these? Is it the angels? And so we, but we see him there. Sitting, you know, as he's sitting on his throne, they're around about. Uh, and also before him, there's gathered all the nations. All the nations, meaning the Jews, the Gentiles, everybody. All the different peoples, nations, and tribes of the world, okay? And then he has a separation of people, which is a bit sad, okay? It's a bit sad, but it's, it's reality. Separation of people. One, uh, as you know, one from a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. So we have like this... The sheep type and the goat type. Okay. Then, then verse 40 talks about one of these or these being, first of all, they're, they're, they're small. And we've already seen that up there. The small ones are vulnerable ones. So we know that much for sure because of the way he's describing them. And the word these is, uh, it's actually, there's four different um, forms of, of cases in the Greek um, uh, language when they, when they put together a sentence, the nominative, the accusative, the dative, and the genitive. And this here is the dative, which means these and my brothers, we see in verse 40, or these little ones, these little ones, brothers, it's all in the same case. So it's very much so tied in that what these are, are definitely little ones or wee ones or, or, or vulnerable ones possibly, simple ones, I don't know. These people who are in need or in care. But also there are likened to as, as brothers in verse 40. But the funny thing is, though, he, he leaves out brothers in verse 45, which is a little bit of a problem. Because when he confronts the, the goats, as, as they're called, he doesn't say one of these my brothers. He just says one of these. So things to think about. And I put three different options. I'm not going to tell you my favorite option. Maybe, maybe I will tell you my favorite option. I'll pray about it. But there's three options. I'll let you choose which one you think best fits your, what you're seeing in scriptures. So three options is this. Are they angels? Now, the Hebrews 13.2 says, are these angels that, that people are, are, are passing over? Um, Hebrews 13.2 says, be not forgetful to entertain strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares okay so maybe angels in human form possibly hebrews says that's a possibility the only problem with that option is um is really angels in the scriptures aren't really seen as being small or vulnerable <laughs> they're seen as being quite powerful so maybe they're an angel acting like they're small or vulnerable possibly but again a little bit of a difficulty with that one um Number two, which I'll let you know is my favorite, um, all the nations. We see all the nations there, right? And this speaks of the people of the world, just people. You know, white, black, red, yellow, just people. All different tribes of the world. All the different people of the world. Not just a select culture or a social group or an ethnic group or a religious group. But all the people of the world, because that's what we see here. All the people of the world are gathered before God and before Jesus. And maybe that's the these he's talking about. Maybe the small, vulnerable ones within these groups. And then the third one is more specific. My brothers. Because he did say that. So we have to figure out what's he mean by my brothers. Um, but are these these just brothers? Are these just you know people who are um, brothers in the sense of, of belonging to God? Belonging to the kingdom of God? Or are they anybody? 
Again, we see in verse 40 that he distinguishes them as these, my brothers, but he doesn't do that with the, with the goats. So we could apl- apply it to the sheep, but not necessarily to the goats without assumption, like assuming as is what he's talking about, or a clear antecedent, which is what we have in verse 40, a clear antecedent. Uh, which means it's, it's, it's in the language. It means it's a pointer. Like this is what Jesus is clearly talking about. But the bottom line is you decide. And that's the cool thing about being a Christian and having a relationship with God is that we have to decide for ourselves what God wants us to do. I can't tell you what to do. The Bible can inform you and direct you very clearly on which ways to go, but you need to be intelligent. I need to be intelligent in how we exercise the tradition of mercy and hospitality. We need to figure out for ourselves when's a good time to care for someone and how far we should take our care and whom's worthy of mercy and whom is not. And it's a serious matter as it appears. Next slide. Um, we have other verses in the scripture. Uh, in fact, there's, I, I, when I searched this, I saw some like hundreds of verses. I couldn't believe any verses the Bible has about hospitality, caring for people and showing mercy. So I just grabbed four that I liked a lot. And I put them here just to, again, because we're a Bible-believing church. It's nice to compare the Bible with the Bible. And here, first, we have Romans 12, 13, which is contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Okay, so here, it's specific to the, the needs of the saints. So we can call this a brother's kind of way of looking at things. Leviticus goes outside of the brother's interpretation and goes into the peoples of the world or the nations in Leviticus 19.34, which is interesting because this is in the Old Testament. Way early on in the Old Testament. This is like Moses writing stuff right here. This is way earlier on. And look at God's treatment on non-Jews or the Gentiles, the people of the nations. It isn't like the, the, the way that the, the, the Pharisees seem to be looking at things. It's very different. He says in Leviticus 19.34, You shall treat the stranger who sojourns with you as the native among you. And you shall love him as yourself. For you were strangers in the land of Egypt. You can see how, hey, you, you can relate to these people. Have mercy. Have some sympathy. Have some empathy. Empathize because you realize, you know what it's like to feel like a stranger in a foreign land. So be kind. Be merciful. I am the Lord, your God. Titus 1.8 says, be hospitable. This is a charge to leaders of the church. Be hospitable. Lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy, and, and disciplined. And Luke 14, 12 um, says this. He said also to the man who had uh, invited him, When you give a dinner or a banquet, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your rel- relatives or rich neighbors, lest they also invite you in return and you be repaid. Talk about motives. Do things so that... You know, as you can be repaid. So you're very selective of who you show hospitality to. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed because you cannot repay, because they cannot repay for it. So again, don't do things for the motives of, I'm going to, I'm all, I'll, I'm all, I'm, I'm, I'll bless this fella. I'll bless this person because you know what? They got the money. They got the stuff and they're going to give back to me. They're going to be a good Christmas present this year. So I'm going to definitely invite them to, you know, to our party. You know, that, that's not the mentality. And of course, in context of everything we've seen so far, 
It's certainly not the way Jesus did it. Certainly not. Because what did he have to gain from Matthew? What did he have to gain from these sinners that he's trying to reach out to show mercy to? Absolutely nothing. So he goes outside to those who are poor, who can't give. Crippled, lame, blind. These these, these, these kinds who, if you remember earlier on in the Sermon on the Mount, are who the kingdom of heaven belongs to anyways. But do, it not, but do it because they can't repay you. Do it because it's good to give and leave it at that. It's good to bless and show mercy and just leave it at that. And again, here's your payment if you're looking for one. For you will be repaid at the re- resurrection of the just, which, as we already looked at and seen discussed, is something that we really kind of want to have. We want to have this re- be a part of the resurrection of the just. That's really what we're interested in. Again, when Jesus said, store up treasures where the moth can't come and get it and the rust can't rust it away. And that is in, king- that is in heaven. That's in eternity. Not in temporal things. Not in temporal, worldly things. Next one. And then for the next five minutes, we'll look at a different tradition. And this moves us on in Matthew chapter 9, starting in verse 14. This is the tradition, or the traditions, of John the baptizer, his disciples, and the Pharisees. And they had tradition as well. And so, again, rightfully so, well, Jesus, what about this tradition then? Is this a good tradition or not? John's disciples came and asked him, how is it that we and the Pharisees fast often? Not just that they fast, but they fast often. They do it quite a bit. But your disciples do not fast at all, as opposed to just no fasting. So what's up? Do we fast or not? Are you guys sinners for not fasting? Are we sinners for fasting? What's the deal with this tradition? And Jesus answered, how can the guests of the bridegroom mourn while he is with them? A nice little parable or illustration here. He's like, hey, I'm, I'm here. The one you love, the one you're waiting for, the one you're longing for is here. So what are you going to wait for? I'm here. The time will come when the bridegroom will not be taken from them, or time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them, and they will fast. Okay? So I I highlight the word, the time will come, because I think in light of what we're talking about, that's very important. The time will come. And I think that's the point he's trying to make here. Why do they fast? And why, or why do we fast, rather? And why do you and your disciples not fast? Jesus is saying, well, because now is not the time. To practice the tradition of fasting or whatever, or it's actually a discipline of, of fasting. But the tradition of practicing the discipline of fasting is not now. Because I'm with you. I'm teaching you. I'm healing you. Be with me. Be with me. Instead of going away and fasting. This is a good thing to do. And then he goes on to kind of sum up the whole idea of fasting very beautifully in another parable. And we'll go on into that. You can't really see the screen, but I kind of put it parathetically because it's like, it's almost like here's him really speaking his heart in, in, a, in, a, in an illustration. A really clear, easy to understand illustration. No one sews a patch of unshrunken cloth on an old garment. Why? Because the patch will pull away from the garment, making the tear worse. Common sense. Neither do people pour new wine into old wineskin. I'll explain to you why in a second. If they do, the skins will burst. The new wine will run out and the wineskins will be ruined. No, they pour new wine into new wineskins and both are preserved. Next slide, please. And we'll explain what he's saying here. There's two things, two traditions. First, the tradition of relevance. When he says the time will come, 
are our traditions relevant? Do they make sense? Are they appropriate to our time? Are they time appropriate? Jesus says the time will come. That wasn't the right time to fast. But the time will come. So Ecclesiastes says this. There's a time for everything. For everything there is a season and a time for every matter under heaven. A time to be born, a time to die, a time to plant, a time to pluck up what has been planted, a time to kill, a time to heal, a time to break down, a time to build up, to weep, laugh, and mourn, and dance, and so on and so forth. You guys know this. And the point here then is there's a time when we need to be a bit smart, I guess, like you know, Mr. Solomon here, a bit smart and think about what's the time? What time are we in? What's, what, what's, the, what's the relevant? What's, what's the real thing? What does God really want for us to do at this particular time? And then the, the next tradition is the tradition of flexibility. Are our traditions flexible? And by the way, that's not a haggis over there, okay? That's old, old wineskin. It's actually a big, 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 ginormous animal skin that would be filled with wine. And you can imagine how heavy it would be. And if it's swelling and it's old and it has no flexibility, it would burst like Jesus is talking about. So get that in your mind. Are traditions flexible? Or are they an old piece of mutton like that? That's about ready to burst. Are we working against what we're actually desiring to accomplish? That's, I mean, that's those are fair questions to ask in regards to tradition. Are we, are we actually working against what we're trying to accomplish as a church, as a group of people? So Jesus says two things. If we're not flexible, we're making the tear worse. The problem gets worse. Or actually, we'll, what we're trying to accomplish, the whole plan, our whole goal, everything, will be just ruined. And that's what he's talking about with this, this, this patch or the, the wineskin. And so just a little bit of information about wine, what happens with wine when it's being made. New wine is actually still undergoing what's called the fermentation process, okay? Yeast in the wine is actually expelling alcohol and carbon dioxide gases, okay? So if there's not ample relief of this pressure, like in an old skin that's fragile and not very flexible, what's going to happen to that skin? It's going to explode because the gas needs to be relieved somehow. That's why there's a little jar on the far right there of some fermenting wine, and there's a little contraption on top that lets the air out without letting air in. So air has to be able to escape, or uh, glasses and expand. And the other is old wineskins, but a new fresh wineskin is flexible, can expand. Okay. So the idea I'm trying to make here, the point I make here, and Jesus is trying to make here, I believe, is flexibility, right? So in the case of Christ's parable, you will run the risk of going against what you're trying to achieve. And of course, I also have a picture here of some sad home brewer who, who, who his, he, he bottled his, his beer and unfortunately they all blew the caps and they're fizzing over. Why? Because there's too much pressure. Too much pressure. You didn't do it right. Spoiled. And that's what you're saying here. You're trying to spoil what you're going to do? Of course, a person who's storing wine, new wine into a wineskin has a reason for doing it. Because he wants the wine to ferment. And he wants to store it so that he can drink it later on. Right? That's the whole point. But you're going against what you're trying to achieve if you put it in the wrong vessel. It'll blow up. It'll explode. 
and you'll lose what you're trying to achieve. So again, Christ's parables, you will run the risk of going against what you're trying to achieve, what you're trying to make here, i.e. damage a garment. You're trying to fix a garment, instead you might damage it. If you put a patch on that's not flexible, or you might lose your wine if you don't store it in an appropriate you know, container that's able to relieve pressure or to be flexible. Next one, and we'll end with this next slide. I'm sorry, I'm going over just a wee bit, but I think that clock's fast. I'm going to go with the fact that that clock's fast. I might be wrong. I might be right. A little bit fast? Not fast at all? Okay. So, the bottom line is this. In conclusion, keep the main thing the main thing. I heard that told me a long time ago, and I think it's kind of a good thing to, to do. And so sometimes we have to be clever and smart about what we do and the things that we do. Are they really what we're trying to achieve here? Now, here's two common things I see in both of these situations, okay? There's a common thing. I think it's really good to look at the commonality of what we, what, what's happening here. In these two situations about tradition, this is what we have in common. The first is about Jesus being with sinners. Jesus wants to be with us, sin and all. He wants to heal us. He wants to forgive us. He wants to redeem us. Regardless, he wants to be with us. And the first thing, it's about Jesus being with Matthew and and the other sinner people. The second illustration we see is Jesus being with folk, his disciples, you know, per se, and people who he's healing and ministering to, per se, as opposed to spending time mourning and fasting. So what's important, what's Jesus wanting to achieve with these particular traditions? And, and, and what's, he, what's his goal? What's his mission? Remember we talked about that earlier, his mission. This is what I'm set out to do. This is what I got to do. So his traditions, the thing he has to do, has to line up with his mission. His mission is to be with people, to heal them, and to minister to them. That's his mission. So any tradition that goes against it for him is a bad tradition, right? So the main thing for us to learn today, then, is this. Regards your tradition. Tradition should be something about Jesus being with us, continuing the tradition. And that's why we meet for church and we meet as a group and we do the things that we do as a church. Ideally is baptisms, communion, all these things should ideally be so that we can continue to experience God with us or us being with him.